Welcome to the Community Caregivers Connected Podcast, where we talk about how to raise healthy kids. In this series, we'll tackle every topic from substance use to mental health and relationships. In these episodes, we'll hear from a group of professionals, parents, and youth. Questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokaneprevention.com. You're listening to the Community Caregivers Connected podcast. We're the Spokane County Prevention Team, sitting down with parents, professionals, youth, and others in Spokane to talk about how we can raise healthy kids and empower our community. This week, we have a dynamic group of individuals who will shed some light on the opioid epidemic in our country and in Spokane. Some of the topics we will be discussing today could be triggering or distressing. If you have any questions or concerns, please reach out to us at spokaneprevention at gmail.com. If you or someone close to you needs help for a substance use disorder, talk to your doctor or call SAMHSA's National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP or go to SAMHSA's Behavioral Health Treatment Services locator online. For more information, you can also visit getthefactsrx.com to start the conversation. You too can make a difference in preventing opioid misuse. This week, Coalition Coordinator Leticia Juarez talks to Jeff, a PA at Chaz Health Clinic, about the risks that parents should know about their youth using opioids. Welcome to the Community Caregivers Connected Podcast. I'm Leticia Juarez from the Northeast Support Team Coalition, also known as the Nest Coalition, and I serve the Northeast Hilliard area of Spokane, Washington. And then today we have um, Jeffrey Hayford, a PA at Chaz Clinic, Chaz Health Clinic, um, to talk to us about what he has encountered in regards to the opioid use, misuse, and abuse in our youth. Um, welcome, Jeffrey, and feel free to tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I know you like Jeff, Jeffrey, so just let me know which you prefer. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for, for having me. Yes, I am Jeff Hayward. I'm a physician assistant. I work at CHAZ, which is a community health association of Spokane. We're a federally qualified health center uh, that works in North Idaho and Eastern Washington, most in the Spokane area. Uh, and the area that I serve is also the Northwest area. The I work at the Rogers High School uh, medical clinic, which is kind of a new thing being supported by Kaiser Permanente, uh, as well as my regular market clinic where I see mostly adults at the Chaz Market Clinic. So that's kind of the area of Northwest, uh, Northeast Spokane I also serve. Nice, uh, yeah. I grew up in Spokane, so I mean, this is kind of a happy thing for me to uh, come back and serve the community that I grew up in. Yeah, that's really cool um, that you work where have you grown up? Um, not a lot of people get to say that they do that. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Very, different, very different story of, of America these days is growing up and moving away from home and going to college somewhere else and then finding a job somewhere else. Yeah, they just want to get away from where they've been. <laughs> um, so yeah, so today we're talking about opioids. Um, and what is kind of your why for this topic? What, what brings you here and what interested you? and wanting to be in this podcast um, for this topic. Well, opiates have been a very interesting part of my career. And mostly it's because I'm a younger physician assistant. So I've been in practice for five years. Uh, before, say, the last 10 years or so, you know, a lot of this, what we call the opioid 
uh, epidemic has been something that's just been rapidly uh, growing in understanding of our medical providers. So I have now grown up in a time where opiates were seen as something that we don't want to use all the time and ones we want to avoid. Whereas that, you know, 20 years ago, that was not the case. In fact, when working uh, and talking with older medical providers, they've talked about how instead of having the conversation about patients about not using opiates, they had to share uh, the role among many providers. So they had a kind of an even load of people that were being these prescribed these opiates because they're perceived as, you know, it's a little more difficult, takes a little more time. You have to have longer conversations because they're very potent uh, medications and they are monitored by the state. Yeah. So in your typical, like, so for youth, what is the typical um, scenario like youth would come in for to get prescribed? So and this is a great question. So one of the articles that I read that was really key for this podcast was talking about what is the most common reason that young people get opiates and it's actually is dental procedures. Dental procedures are the most commonly prescribed. So I don't do that in my practice, but the reason why it's so important to be aware of these things is because of what the follow-up that occurs. So in this one study, they actually just looked at young people roughly between the ages like 15 and 30, and they followed them up like one year later and noticed that any uh, person in this age period who got a single prescription of opiates, they were two and a half times as likely to then get a second prescription uh, within the next year. And keeping in mind that these aren't necessarily people that, uh, you know, would suddenly need opiates again. Opiates are very potent medications. So this kind of suggests that part of the issue here is that there's certain groups of people that are going to be more likely to kind of be seeking out opiates. They kind of get a touch of these kinds of things. And unfortunately, there's a a role of addiction uh, and and it, it unfortunately affects our communities and communities throughout the world. Yeah. So when youth, like in the, even in the dental office, I would say, um, get prescribed, what, what do you think their parents should be like aware of and, um, of the risk? Like, you know, cause a lot of, we hear a lot of parents say, um, <clears throat> well, like they just told me that, you know, they're the doctor, like they know what they're doing. So they just told me for my child to take it, but they don't necessarily know the risk. Um, so like, what are some key, I guess, risks? that parents should know when being when their youth is being prescribed. That's an excellent question. And I think what I really want to key in here is this is not about being afraid of medications, afraid about things your doctor is doing. This is about getting education and knowing what you're up against. So if there is something that feels, you know, as a parent, you feel something in your belly, you know, and you're just kind of an ache, there's something not right. Just ask the dentist, the medical provider, just make sure you always get your questions asked because, you know, that's really important for us as well, because we can also get caught up into the role where, you know, we're prescribing X medication and we do this, that, and we have kind of the usual role we do all the time. And, and sometimes we really need that feedback from community members and family members to ask us, well, do I need to, does my, my, my child need to take this medication? Uh, is it actually helpful? How long, what should we do when there's leftovers? There's actually a lot of questions. Uh, interesting enough, actually, the single one and the only takeaway that I would say is the most important thing for any parent to know actually is to simply make sure you lock up your medications. That is actually perhaps the greatest source for young people is actually getting medications from other friends, other family members, and simply just because they're not locked up. Actually, is perceived to be the maybe the most important intervention that parents can do to make sure that, that maybe not even their children, but other people's children, people that break into homes or whatever, they're looking for these things mm-hmm. uh, uh, because they're worth a lot on the street, uh, but also because people are kind of hooked on these things, unfortunately. Yeah. And as coalitions, I mean, we do our best to try and educate. We do town halls and we actually do give out um, our lock boxes. And so 
fortunately, I, it's good that I work at Northeast Community Center because we have Unify Community Health there. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm like, hey, if you guys need lockboxes, just send them to my office. I'll give them to you. Um, I'll give them to the patients or sometimes I'll leave them in the clinic. So they have like maybe like 10 lockboxes, but um, all of our coalition coordinators have them on hand. So if you do know of anybody or Chaz wants to work with that um, partnership, I mean, that'd be something we'd be all up for, especially the one on market that's in my area. Um, like I said, we, tr- we try to buy at least 200 lockboxes or more at least twice a year because we do give them away at our um our take back events so people can get rid of it. Yeah. And that's just a really great opportunity because again, uh, talking about where these medicate, where these are coming from. So when we talk about being things sold on the street or taken, these are prescribed manufactured pills. These aren't made on the street. These are made in legitimate uh, sources, uh, you know, pharmaceutical companies that create these pain medications for patients. And it's those extra ones that don't get thrown away. The ones that get stolen and whatnot, those are the ones that end up on the street. These, this, that, that's what's just so important for people in the community to know as these medications are coming from legitimate sources and they're being stolen to be then used for illegitimate um, reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that part too is, is something that a lot of parents need to be educated on. Cause it's like, for us, like that's more like we don't know how many people are, you know, how many um, street um, drugs are coming off or how much of them are prescribed and then being sold on the street just because sometimes we don't have that law enforcement connection or that law enforcement information that we can get right away. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely great to inform parents like, hey, this is what can happen um, if you don't lock them up. Yeah. I mean, it's a very common story as well to hear in adults that uh, someone was started for some pain reason. They hurt their knee or had a surgery and they started on some opiate uh, medications. And again, it's also important to kind of to summarize briefly what an opiate is. Opiates are things like hydrocodone, oxycodone are kind of very commonly prescribed ones. Uh, but but even other things like tramadol, uh, there are other uh, medications that are prescribed. And then for more of like the street drugs, you know, that that's things like morphine. Well, morphine is what was originally was used as a, a pain medication. But medications like morphine, for instance, are things that have the opiate uh, label on them. Uh, but that's where the fentanyl comes in. Some of these medications you may have heard in the news that are a thousand times as powerful as morphine, for yeah. instance. And those are the key ones where people take a, a little bit and they, they, they overdose and die. Um, and, the, and the overdose, the things that are occurring in those cases, you know, respiratory uh, suppression, the kind of breathing slows down so much, they stop breathing, they get so sedated, knocked out, and they, they can't wake back up. Yeah, scary. Scary to see, know that. Um, so going back to youth, um, if they feel like they're developing a dependence um, on a prescription, what, what should they do? Definitely seek help. And, and the way that... Uh, Luckily, very young on, that is actually a, a very key intervention point because, you know, we are doing a lot of things to help prevent uh, all people of all ages from getting kind of acclimated to these kinds of medications. And one of the key things, we just don't give them that much. So mm-hmm. keys that you could know is that if your child is, is asking for refills on these medications, uh, increased number of injuries, uh, increased changes in behavior. And these are the key things we talk about as working in a school-based clinic is that other behaviors kind of can go along uh, with this in, you know, poor uh, school behaviors, changes in personality, uh, you know, acting different around friends, loss of friends, uh, things that previously were in trouble are no longer in trouble. Those are the kind of things you kind of look for as clues that something, something has changed. 
uh, around these medications. Um, and I think it is important to always ask your medical provider if you if you're worried, is it you know does my does my son or daughter need this uh, medication for their pain? Yeah. And do you see a lot of youth that are using prescription meds or being seen for you know potentially being addicted? Um, to these medications, do you see a lot of clients in that age range? Luckily, no. But here's the key point is that most people who started smoking uh, tobacco started mm-hmm. in childhood. Mm-hmm. These are yeah. substances that become addictive. So I think although we can say that, for instance, the death rate and all these kind of things, if you look at the big picture, like, oh, how much is this actually harming young people? That's not really the problem. The problem is that many of these people got a touch of this in a very young age when they were somewhat susceptible, you know, and didn't have their own bearings to be able to kind of, you know, ask for help or didn't know how to ask for help or whatever it is. So that's the key here. Because I remember one statistic that I saw here in a national study said 9% of high school seniors between the years of 2007 and 2009 had used uh, an opiate in a non-medical fashion. That's almost 10% of high school seniors. So given that information, this is a widespread issue and it is affecting, of course, many people at about age 18 when they're high school seniors, example. So a lot of the data we'd be looking at wouldn't necessarily say that, oh yeah, 15 year old, 16 year old, they're all dying. No, I mean, we're talking about they're getting the age where they're now making their own decisions and then they are then seeking out these things later on in life. And that's, this is the time to cut that off. Yeah, for sure. Do you hear anything like, I mean, obviously not everybody comes to the clinic, but do you hear anything like in the community, like saying like, oh yeah, the, I know you said the high schoolers, you, you've read that, you know, um, seniors, that they have a higher um, addiction rate. And then like, but in our community, have you heard any information or um, stats about use um, in youth in regards to opioids? And that's a little hard. It's a little hard. I mean, I was reading through this article and there's kind of a lot of statements, uh, very simple. That was the one that I keyed in because I thought it was the most easy to understand. Mm-hmm. I do want to clarify when we talk about terms like addiction uh, or dependence or one of those, those are very specific terms. So uh, to clarify this one, that just means that up to 10, 9% of high school seniors have just used opiates in a non-medical fashion. That mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean they're addicted. doesn't mean that they're yeah. dependent or they will ever use them again, but that doesn't mean they use them. And they admitted mm-hmm. to using them for a reason that was not prescribed. Therefore, that raises our attention to, well, that are they also going to lead to addiction? Are they also going to lead to other issues? Was it a one-time deal? I don't know. But it's a really great question just to be aware of how many people have had a touch of this stuff, um, which can be habit-forming. Yeah, for sure. So not and- a lot. I don't necessarily hear a lot about younger people. I mean, there are signs up in the high school about the number of people that are using, you know, other people's medications and things like that, which are very, you know, there's still single digit numbers, you know, as far as the number of students doing these kinds of activities. So that's good. Uh, but again, you know, this is, this is not a great time to intervene. Yeah. And I know um, you talked about earlier about, you know, just educating parents, educating the community, um, providing those lockboxes. Um, is there any other ways you think we can reduce prescription um, use or abuse in our community? I, simply not just not getting them. So another great study that I, I read about actually showed an example of a, in a particular kind of dental procedure. I don't remember exactly which one it was. Um, actually showed that opiates were not as effective as Tylenol and ibuprofen. So sometimes there's this perspective that opiates are just, you know, that, that's the pain meds. That's the one that we all have to worry about. That's the good one. That's the one that makes you, you know, have the pain go away. That's actually not true. 
uh, especially in various circumstances. It's also important to realize that opiates don't have some of the other properties that say um, ibuprofen has, for instance. Ibuprofen is an anti-inflammatory. Well, if you have a condition that's very inflammatory, opiates just kind of dull the pain. They don't necessarily reduce inflammation. So you have this, uh, this other benefit that other medications can have. So I believe in this one study, they show that of the options, Tylenol and ibuprofen, ibuprofen alone was actually superior to opiates. So I think that's also another thing. Is it just assuming that out my you know my my child had a fracture or whatever? Well, you do often think about using opiates in those situations. Mm-hmm. Don't be you don't need to be confused about that. But in various studies and follow up on those have shown that things like oh ibuprofen will work as effectively and of course is cheaper. You can be cheaper, uh, have fewer consequences, can be taken longer, and simply it's just more safe. So I think that's the other thing is 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 not starting them and of course locking them up when you do have them. Yeah. And I think as parents and community members, they just feel like, oh, it's not strong enough. Like ibuprofen is not strong enough. But I mean, I'm sure I've, I mean, I've been to doctors and they would just prescribe like a higher, um, like dosage of the ibuprofen. So instead of the 200 milligram I get at Walmart, I can, you know, get a 600 milligram one, um, through my doctor, but just advocating for yourself, I guess is huge, I think. Um, Absolutely. And I think the other thing I want to say is sometimes parents feel like they have to ask for more. You know, I'm, I'm trying to be a good parent. I want my child to not be in pain. I think the other thing that's really important to, to key in there is that you're not a bad parent. You're not a parent by asking for things from your, your medical provider. You're not a bad parent for not doing that. I mean, it's, it's fine. I think what's important for you is just, again, to be educated, to, to know what your options are. It's also really important to realize that when uh, children have fractures or medical procedures, they will be in pain. And that's actually okay. We do the best we can to safely treat pain, but we have to, you have to remember that the, the more aggressive you are with pain medications, like we're talking about this whole podcast about opiates, <laughs> the level of risk goes up greatly. The more pain medications you give, the higher the doses, the longer they do it. So essentially, we're always weighing the cost of the risks with the benefits. And that's how every treatment is in medicine. Even if you take ibuprofen, people get upset stomach from that. You know, everything has a pro and a con to it. And, and you just need to be aware of what those are and talk to your medical provider, or whoever is that trusted person that you talked to about your medical uh, concerns. Yeah. Um, those are all the questions I had today. But if you have anything else you'd like to shine on, um, feel free, any other, like, you know, if there's anything happening um, through Chaz to educate parents or the students, um, any events, anything like that, um, feel yeah. free. I think I, I had a couple notes that I'd written uh, about this article that I had read. Okay, so yeah, so I'll, I'll just kind of talk about a couple of things here. The, the one big thing, though, is that just to give the big picture question is that, you know, life expectancy in America has gone down. So that means that previous generations actually were expected to live longer than younger generations are now. And one of the biggest reasons is because of the opiate epidemic. Uh, a couple of years ago, about 100,000 people died. And last year, there's like 100,000 plus people died from opiate use. Okay. And these cases, these aren't all prescription drug uses. For instance, some of these are street drugs, heroin, and, and things of that nature. But I think it's important to remember that many of these people started getting these um, addictions and behaviors, if, if, if we'll call them that, uh, through starting through pain meds they got from the medical provider. So that that is the the big picture thing. So if we are wanting to improve the longevity of our children, it does start with the behaviors that we all have. 
acknowledging uh, the limitations we have, asking questions when we don't know, uh, and, and moving forward. Again, I really want to emphasize, this is not about being afraid of pills or afraid of meds. It's about craving knowledge and education so you know what the risks are and the benefits, because that, that is a lot of what we do in medicine, is just trying to figure out uh, uh, what, what actually is going to benefit us and, and you know what might be too risky. Uh, other than that, I mean, I just have some notes on um, you know, things that are associated with these practices. And I think I mentioned a variety of things that can occur in adolescents who are starting to, to use substances. And I, and I mentioned some, but here's kind of high-risk sexual practices, missing school, failure in school, um, needing money in more circumstances, uh, and taking on riskier activities to get money, for instance, and whatnot. Um, and then I think is a, let me just take a look over my notes here just a little bit. Oh, yeah. So it's also important to that know that not all of the deaths from opiates in young people, especially, are from just recreational use. There is a small percent, sadly, that also it's, it's a suicide attempt. And you wouldn't have known that, um, you know, we just, oh, they're using too much of a, an opiate or something like that. No, like, there are some that are, of course, unfortunately, struggling with other things. So, yeah. I mean, if I were to kind of summarize this for me is ask questions, ask for help. I think it's really important to, to get that. That's why we're here. Um, get Get, get in to see your medical provider. If you're worried about your, your, your student, your child, who you're, the young person you're taking care of, get in to get help. Have that conversation. Don't be afraid to it. Uh, talk about it. Um, you as a parent or guardian are in a unique situation to help uh, children uh, to be able to learn about themselves, to ask questions in a safe environment. Take them in with them if you want. Uh, ask your own questions. Be there and show that it's fine to ask a medical writer questions. It's fine to ask you. It's fine for the kid to ask questions. Those are all really important things. Sweet. Thank you. Thank you for ending it on that note. Um, just don't don't be afraid to ask. I guess. Don't be afraid to ask. For sure. Great. Um, so yeah, Jeffrey, we can find them at Rogers High School um, at the Chats Clinic and Market Street Clinic. Um, up on Market Street in the North Spokane area. Thank you, Jeffrey, for thank you so much for having today. me. I appreciate it. And hopefully, that's helpful. Yeah, and maybe we can have you on on our um, mental health. Um, That'd be wonderful. Podcast. I'm pretty sure we're having. Yeah, so we'll see you I'll again. do that for sure. <laughs> for sure. All right. Thank you. Next week, we'll hear from Brittany Campbell, a mom of four who talks about her own experience with opioids. She also shares a lot of tips for how parents can start the conversation with their kids. The Community Caregivers Connected podcast is made possible with funding through the Washington State Healthcare Authority, drug-free community grant funds from the CDC, and new ESD 101. Questions or topic ideas can be submitted on our website at spokanprevention.com.